Hey, it's good to have you here, and we are, uh, we are spending the summer um, talking about Moses, we're doing a character study, and this guy, we're taking about 12 weeks, I think, something like that, to look at some of, uh, some of the highlights of his life, really some of the lowlights too, and we obviously can't cover everything, but we're covering as much as we can, and tonight we're just going to be in, in one chapter, so let me pray for us, and, and we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for uh, another week to know you, to be led by you, blessed by you. But Father, I know that uh, you are here tonight. You deeply desire to, uh, to commune with us, to, to reveal yourself to us, and um, for us to, to connect with that, to, um, to enter in with you in, in a deeper level of relationship. And I, I see that in the passage tonight, and I, I pray that uh, you will speak to our hearts. And you will draw us into yourself tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So, you know, there's a lot of ways you can think about uh, your life and, and how to summarize your life. One of the ways that I think about my life is I think of bread. All right? So, like, my life have, has different bread phases. And maybe some of you have lived long enough. You know what I'm talking about. So, I grew up, I grew up on white bread. Now, to, to tell you the truth, um, I grew up on Wonder Bread. Um, it's a wonder I grew up on Wonder Bread, but I did. And in fact, I couldn't find Wonder Bread. I, I think they still make it, don't they? I don't know where they sell it. They don't sell it at Safeway. That's all I know. Um, so anyways, this is next. This is France. I grew up in Southern California. We didn't have France, but we had Wonder Bread. And so I think all, all in um, grade school, uh, my lunches at school, all that, everything was Wonder Bread and toast was Wonder Bread and everything was. And I actually thought Wonder Bread was pretty cool. Um, Wonder Bread, so this is what I would do with Wonder Bread. I would take the, the crust off and then you can just like, have you, like I would do the, am I the only, yeah, okay. So I'd make dice. That's what I did. I would make dice and then um, I would have a pen and I would just do the whole thing and then my mom would be horrified because I'd turn my sandwich into a, a set of dice and I'd play with that and then I'd feed it to the dog when I was done. But Wonder Bread, you know why they call it Wonder Bread? Because you could actually do more than eat it. So you could use it, you could patch radiator hoses with it, um, right? You could like cock the bathtub with it. It was pretty um, amazing stuff. And then my mom, I think it was about middle school, my mom decided that... Uh, Pure white bread was not quite good enough, so she started getting a whole grain white bread, which is really, it's just yellow bread is all it is. Like it's, it's pretty, and I, couldn't, I could still make dice out of it, so I was cool with it. It was okay. It didn't really feel like it was different, but you know, this is back in the 70s, and it just, it was, you know, I don't know, it, this is what we ate. And so it all seemed the same to me. We ate that for a while. And I think it was in, in, I think it was in high school uh, I discovered. So uh, anybody into, uh, into uh, Francisco sourdough bread? Like I discovered, huh? I discovered this in middle school. And this is the bomb, man. This is, I was sophisticated in middle school. And, uh, and obviously Scott was too. And uh, this, so this is a great, like, this is a whole never, another level of bread. It's got that kind of sophisticated flavor to you. You toast it, it's really good. You make sandwiches, it's really good. And so, don't shake your head. No, I see that. So, all right, it's actually really good. And so, I, I, this is kind of middle school and then um, in, in, in high school. This, and then I went away to college, and in college you eat anything you can get. But it was mostly, the, most of the bread I ate in in college was um, the hamburger buns at Burger King, I think mostly. Uh, and then uh, I moved up to the Pacific Northwest to go to uh, a seminary. And at that time, I kind of got into like the real, so, you know, the, the multi-grain and flax um, Franz bread, like that's what I, when I came up here, I wanted to fit in, and so I stopped eating white bread, and white bread, ice is all white bread, and so um, I started eating like, you know, multi-grain stuff, and did this for a while, it's okay, this is good, and then, and then uh, I discovered, when I have boys, um, I discovered uh, hoagie rolls, right, like French, because it sounds a little, it sounds sophisticated, but they're just, it, Again, it's white bread, but it's so versatile. So you can make a sandwich on it. You know, you can, you can put cheese on it, right, and melt it. You can, anyone ever make a pizza on one of these? 
really, Scott, see, we're the same kind of bread brothers here, I think. So, yeah, I did this for years, and then I was like, you know, it's not only white bread, it's like a lot of white bread, like a whole bunch. And so, my family, we discovered a Dave's Killer Bread. Anyone in a Dave's? Yeah. So, this is, this is substantial stuff, and you know it's good because it costs a fortune, right? So, that's how you know, and you can't make dice out of this. So, that's, that's how you know it's legit. It's like good. But the, here's the whole thing. Oh, and by the way, I never got into pita bread, all right, which isn't even bread as far as I'm concerned, but right, the whole pita thing, anyone? Yeah, no, 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 not good. Like bread, so bread, I don't know about you, I love bread, and the thing about bread is like you can do so, you can put butter on it, right, you could toast it, you can put jam on it, you can put Nutella on it, I was never really into that, but you could do that, you can make a sandwich with it, but you know what makes bread taste the absolute best? When you receive it, with thankfulness and a grateful heart from God. Think about that. When you receive it as a gift from God, instead of just eating another slice or another loaf, in my case, right, that, that you learn to thoughtfully and gratefully receive it as a gift and eat it that way. Let me, let me tell you uh, how one of the ways I learned this. When I was in high school, I think it must have been my freshman year, um, I remember in a class, we saw a documentary uh, on, on World War II and prisoners of war. And I remember an interview they did with a prisoner of war who talked about, uh, I think he was, a, he was a prisoner of war in Germany. And uh, when, he, uh, when the war was over and he was released, he tells a story about uh, going home and uh, getting up one morning at home after having been a prisoner of war, opening up his free, uh, refrigerator, and there, was, uh, there were some eggs in the refrigerator. And he talked about the fact that he never really liked eggs. But now he's the, the, the war's over, he's home, he opens up, looks at the eggs, and he thinks, you know, those look kind of good. And so he takes an egg out, and he, he cracks it, and he, he's frying the egg. And as he's frying the egg, he just talks about, like, he hasn't had an egg in years. And as he's frying it, it just looks so good, and it smells so good. And then he tells this story about how he takes it, puts it on a plate. He never really cared for eggs. Puts it on a plate, sits down at the table, and he talks in detail about how he ate every single bite and how delicious it was and how good it was because he never, there was a time in his life where he never, ever thought he would ever be free to eat an egg or anything on his own ever again. And I remember just watching the documentary and thinking, you know, I don't really like eggs that much either. And I went home that day and I opened up the refrigerator. I don't know, we were out of Fruit Loops, so I didn't know what to eat. And, um, and there were some eggs. And I thought, hey, so I took an egg and I cracked it and I fried it and I sat down and I ate it and I thought that was the best egg I've ever eaten in my life. And you know, one of the things that I have uh, realized over the years is that um, God gives us so many things to enjoy and we don't enjoy them because we don't think about where they came from. We don't think about the God who provides them. We just eat our eggs. We just, you know, we just eat our white bread. We don't think about it. We don't receive it with gladness or with gratefulness. And it's not just true for bread. It's uh, true every day when we wake up. Do we wake up each day thinking this is a gift from God? The way we treat relationships, the way we approach finances and school and the house we live in. See, a lot of people just go through life just eating loaf after loaf after loaf. Very few people actually enjoy it. Very few people actually savor it. A lot of people are sitting around waiting, waiting for something when it's all right there in front of them. We are making our way through uh, the life of Moses. And we've been talking about how Moses was born um, about 3,500 years ago into the nation of Israel when they were slaves. We talked about, you know, how his parents hid him. We talked about how he, he got adopted into Pharaoh's family and at about 40 years old, Talked about how he committed murder, how he goes into exile until he's 80 years old. And then he has a discussion with a burning bush and he faces off with Pharaoh. We talked last week about the 10 plagues or miracles and the Red Sea. 
And then uh, where we left it off last week, we, we kind of pick up, uh, once they cross the Red Sea, Israel, they, you know, they've just escaped, they're in exile, and they go to Elam uh, for a couple of weeks. They kind of rest at this place where there's plenty of water and there's, there's shade. And now it's time for them to head deeper into the wilderness. And so they, they go into the wilderness, which is actually desert, where it's hot. And, and where it's dry. And so now they've gone into the desert, and uh, God's worked all these miracles, and what do you think Israel does in the desert? Do they hold a worship service? Are they like have a praise service? And, you know, no, this is what it says in chapter 16, where we pick up the story today. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, what? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat, oh, this is good, where we sat by the meat pots. I don't know what that is. Apparently, they serve meat in pots in, in Egypt, and we ate bread to the full. For Moses, you have, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly. <laughs> with hunger, right? So first of all, let's just be fair. We all have our issues, right? We, we all have our weaknesses. If the Israelites were whiners and complainers. That was their weakness. And they're going to whine and complain their way through the Old Testament. It's, it's crazy. Now here, they're complaining about their meal plan. They're not happy about this. Now they're not starving, we know they have livestock, we know they have meat, which means they would have milk and cheese. We know they have bread, and we know they have supplies. They have all this stuff, so what's the issue? The issue is that they craved the meats of Egypt, and they craved the breads that they had in, in, in Egypt. This is kind of about greed versus need, and they confused what they wanted with what they needed. They had what they needed, but they didn't have what they wanted. It kind of actually made me think of when I first moved up to the Northwest. And I, I came from, from L.A., from Orange County. And when I moved up here, the one thing that I just could never find is good Mexican food. And everybody would be like, oh, you got to go to that place. And I'd go there, and you got to go to that place. And I could never find any place. And I don't want to hear any. I know you're all thinking, well, you haven't been to. So it, doesn't, it just doesn't work, right? It's like, but I, I admit, I, compl I complained and I whined about all that. That's kind of what they're doing. It's not that they don't have food, it's that they don't have the food that they, that they wanted, that they, they liked. And they did what complainers do, by the way. This is what complainers do. First of all, they said that their situation was worse than it was, right? That's what complainers do. Secondly, they did the whole grass is always greener thing. Oh, it was so awesome to be slaves because, you know, at least we could go eat all the meat we wanted out of the pots. And, and, and the third thing they did is they blamed their discontent on others. This is what complainers do, right? They, it, their situation is always worse than it is, and the grass is always greener, and it's always someone else's fault, always. But the reality is that they really weren't complaining about Moses and Aaron. They were complaining about God, because that's who their issue was really with. As one writer said, a complaining spirit always indicates a problem in our relationship with God. Think about that. A complaining spirit, not, you know, you complain once in a while, but a complaining heart is always an indication that your real problem is with God. See, a, a, a soul that has faith in God doesn't complain about God. It, it takes its complaints to God. You see this in the Psalms all the time. It takes its frustrations to God. The problem here was not the meal plan. The problem was that they didn't trust God for the meal plan. And the reason they didn't trust God for the meal plan was because they were not paying attention. I don't think it's some huge, spiritual, dark, under kind of pinning thing here. I just think they're not paying attention. And so the solution is God is going to, he's going to help them grow. Right? Because the, like, apparently the ten plagues weren't enough. And, you know, apparently the Red Sea wasn't enough. So God in his compassion is going to help them grow and, and help them grow in their awareness of how much he cares for them and loves them. And so in response to their grumbling, God basically says this. Tonight you're going to eat meat and tomorrow you're going to eat bread to the full. In verse 13, it says this, And in the evening, quail came up, and they covered the camp. 
So, so quail come. It's, it's like buffalo wild wings gone crazy in, uh, for Israel, right? And, and a quail's a small, you know, bird. And so they, they, it's uh, very common, by the way, in the Middle East. And they migrate over this area uh, about two times a year. But this is a miracle because it comes right when God says they're going to come on the very evening. And they come in huge numbers. Everyone just gets to be like, you know, eating the little wings till they can't take anymore. And then the next morning, when they got their, like, you know, Buffalo Wild Wing hangover, it says in verse 13, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing. It was fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? They didn't know what it was. They'd never seen this. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has, has given you to eat. Now, we know that this is called manna, but there's so many theories about what manna actually is. Like crazy, weird theories. Uh, one I was reading about was that, uh, that manna is the excretion of cicadas, right? You got, like, have you guys know what cicadas is? I lived in Arizona for a while. There's cicadas there. They're everywhere. Doesn't that sound delicious? 40 years of excretion from cicadas, and some people think it was plant lice, right? Like they wouldn't know what plant lice is or, or moss or uh, tamarisk trees, uh, but they say, what is it? See, because they've never seen it before. They don't know what this is. It's, it's a miracle. In verse 31, it says, now the house of Israel called it, they called it manna. It was like a coriander seed. It was white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Not so bad, but again, doesn't sound like the excretion of a cicada to me. I, I don't know. And they could do all sorts of things. It was kind of like an all-purpose kind of food. They could bake it, they could boil it, they could fry it, they could George Foreman grill it, they could have manna hotcakes for breakfast and right, and filet of manna for dinner. Um, there was manna burgers, there was banana bread, right? There was like manna cotti, right? Like, doesn't that? And there was 40 years of manna. But manna was more than food. Right? It, was, it was educational. It was, it was a daily reminder that God cared about them and that God was providing for them. We'll, we'll fill out why this is so important. But back in, in verse 4 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. So every day they're going to go out and gather enough for that day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, right, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So, this is a daily thing. Every morning they will go out and they will gather their bread. They'll gather their, their manna. And they were only to take as much as they needed. And, and you were not to store up any for tomorrow. So, you go out each morning and you get enough manna according to how many people lived in your, in your Coleman tent as you were traveling, and then you would, you would eat what you had, and you were not to save it up for the next day. That, none of that, which was tempting. It was tempting. Some people wanted to save it up for tomorrow. Now, on the sixth day, you would gather up twice as much, and you would save half of it for the next day, which was the Sabbath. And on, this, on the seventh day of the week, on the Sabbath, on a Saturday, there was no manna. No manna that came from heaven. There was no collecting manna. It was a day for resting and a day for worship and a day for fellowship. And, and more than that, which we'll talk about here in a second. This was a daily thing, which, as I thought about it, was, was brilliant. Not that I'd expect anything less from God, but it was this brilliant idea, right? Because these are people who are not paying attention. That it, one of the reasons it's so hard for them to follow God is because they, you know, they get a loaf of bread, but they don't think about where it came from. They just tear it open and they eat it, right? Like we do a lot of times. So God wants to help them connect the dots. I, imagine for a minute that you are financially destitute. Imagine that you have lost everything that you were living out on the streets. And, and, and one night, you pray out to God. You pray, God, would you please provide for me? And God says to you, you hear God's voice at, in a burning rhododendron or something, and God says to you, I'm going to provide for you. Tomorrow, I'm going to take care of you. The next day, you find out that, that your bank account has received unlimited funds. Right? Not even a million or two million. It's unlimited. 
unlimited funds, right? Bam, you're, you're, you're rich, you have everything that you need. Now, let me ask you this. If suddenly one day you found out that you had unlimited funds in your bank account, like the first day, that would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? You would probably be like, God, you're amazing, right? Ten days later, you might still be like, God, thank you for this money. A month, a year, ten years from now. Like, let me ask you, do you think over time you would be just as thankful every day? Do you think it's possible that after 10 years of having unlimited funds, you might, you know, you might maybe not draw the dots and, and connect it to God anymore? You might not take every meal and every loaf of bread with thankfulness and gratefulness? Now let's imagine God has a different plan. God speaks to you through a, a, a burning azalea, I don't know, and, and, and he says, actually, this is what we're going to do, okay? I'm going to, each day, as you need money, just go to the, go to the ATM, and every time you go to the ATM, you'll get the money that you need for, for that day. So every day you're going to go to the ATM, and every day you'll draw it out, and it'll never run dry, but you can only get enough for that day. That's all you can get money for, right? Now, now think about that for a minute. Which one of those would tend to build a daily trust for God, right? Because when you go to bed tonight, you're going to realize, I'm not going to have any money tomorrow unless, you know, the magic ATM machine works, and that's kind of what's going on. It's built, God's building this daily awareness, this daily gratefulness. Man is this great big daily reminder to the Israelites that God is the one who provides the first loaf of bread and the 10,000th loaf of bread, which is something that we tend to forget, isn't it? After a while, we tend to forget that. We all need daily bread, right? We need literal food, but we also need daily health, don't we? We need daily wisdom. Right? How many decisions do you make on a regular basis that, that impact your life and the life of people around you? We need daily patience, don't we? Like, you notice we just get enough for the moment. We need daily peace, daily joy, daily finances. You need, you know, daily relational stuff going on and shelter and transportation. And here's the thing. God gives us what we need. God always gives us what we need. The question is, do we know it? The question is, are we aware of it? Do we just go around eating our white bread all day long like most people and just eat it and move on? Or do we look at it and go, wow, that God is good. You can see how that would make a difference, wouldn't it? In your heart, in your soul, if you made the connection. Well, maybe not this, but maybe this, huh? Or if you didn't. You ever met somebody that just takes their daily bread, isn't thankful, isn't grateful, complains, whines, isn't happy, no joy? God doesn't want his people to be like that, so he gives them daily bread. He gives them manna. So I want to just give us, uh, in your notes there, a couple of, of I, I hope are helpful principles. I had six. I'm only going to give you two because last week was so long, so I'm just giving you a break. We're going right to the, right to the point here. Here's the first one I think that God wants us to do, and that is we need to learn to rest in God. First thing, learn to rest in God. So let me explain this. God gave manna to the Israelites each morning, but they had to go out and gather it. Right? They, it, it they had to receive it. They had to collect it, put it in a jar. It, it wasn't delivered to their door for them. They had to, they had to go out and get it. See, but, but God meant for it to be a, a tangible, hands-on, faith-building experience. Right? It wasn't really just about bread, was it? You see that? It was about every morning going out and receiving from God, taking up the manna, getting it, and receiving it, and making the connection to God. In verse 16 of chapter 16, it says this. This is what the Lord has commanded. Here are some instructions. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat for the day. And you shall each take an omer, that was a measurement, about a half a gallon, according to the number of persons that each of, uh, each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so, and they gathered some more, some less. And then this is kind of a miracle part of it. But when they measured it, with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. In other words, they had just an omer. And whoever gathered little had no lack, and each of them gathered as much as, as he could eat. Verse 19, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. It's very important here. No, no hoarding. Right? They had to trust God for each tomorrow. So as they would receive their 
omer of, of daily bread. They had to eat the bread that they had for that day, and they couldn't leave anything for the next day. Now, think about how hard that would have been, right? Because there's no Costco nearby. Like if I get up in the morning and there's no bread laying around, I can't just go, like God is the only provider. Daily trust is something that I think many of us work hard not to have to do. We work hard so we don't have to trust God tomorrow. We often hoard more food than we need. We hoard more money than we need or that is reasonable. Why do we do that? So we don't have to trust God tomorrow or trust God next month or maybe a year from now. Many of us, we hoard clothing that we don't need. We hoard square, you know, square footage that just goes to waste in our house. We hoard our time. We hoard our privacy so that we don't have to rely on anyone. I mean, isn't that true? Oftentimes, we're trying to do the exact opposite of what God's trying to teach Israel. No, I want to make sure I don't have to rely on God to take care of me or any of my needs tomorrow. This makes us very nervous, right? And it made people back then nervous. It made them very, some people found it, in fact, too difficult. In verse 20, it says, but, but some people, not all of them, but some of them didn't listen to Moses, and they left part of the manna they had until the morning, and it bred worms, and it stank, and Moses was, was angry with them. And so, it's kind of an irony. They would, they would receive manna from God, but they were afraid that the manna they were eating, that the God who provided it might not provide it for tomorrow. So they took some of the bread that God gave them today and they hid it for tomorrow. It's so strange. It's so illogical, isn't it? To go like, I'm going to get bread from God, but I don't trust God. So I'm going to save some of the bread for tomorrow. And yet, how often do we do that? How often does God give us things to share with others, and we just, no, we're hold, we hold on to all of it for ourselves. Why do we hold on to it for ourselves? Oftentimes for the exact same reason. We're not quite sure that we trust God that much. And then God's strategy gets even better, as if this wasn't hard enough in verse 22. And on the sixth day, they, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath. That is Saturday, okay? It's a Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and George Foreman grill what you will George Foreman grill and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. And so they laid it aside until the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and, and there were no worms in it. Eee, all right, yeah. Hey, and Moses said, eat it today, right? For today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find any manna in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Now, the word Sabbath simply means to cease or to desist. And, and, and it sets up a rhythm for us, of, of six days of work, of six days of gathering, and one day of rest. And God provided kind of double manna's Fridays for them. You know, it was like every Friday, it was like, oh, we get twice as much, and it didn't go bad. So it's kind of a double miracle, right? They get twice as much on Friday, and it doesn't go bad. And this is kind of the rhythm that God has for them. Now, I know a lot of times we like to look and go, yeah, but it just has nothing to do with the day. We don't do the Sabbath today. We don't do the you know, Ten Commandments today. But just a little like theological note about the Sabbath, something to think about. So if you're paying attention and you know what's coming, you know that the Ten Commandments have not been given yet. So there is no law yet. And yet there's already a Sabbath. A lot of times when we think about the Sabbath, we think, we think of the Fourth Commandment. But there are no commandments yet. Sabbath was given before the Ten Commandments. What does that mean? Well, theologians like to call this a, uh, a creation ordinance. 
In other words, this isn't something that's rooted in the Ten Commandments, that it actually reflects uh, the creation process all the way back at the beginning of, of Genesis. Because at the beginning of Genesis, it tells us that God worked for six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. And this sets a pattern for people who were made in his image. Six days of working, six days of gathering, one day of rest. Peter Enns says it this way. He says, it is not simply that the Sabbath is observed by the Israelites and that they refrain from gathering food. Rather, it is God who refrains from supplying the food. It is he who ceases working so that no manna or quail is to be found. And when God rested, his people rested too. A little bit later on, about 1,500 years later, if you've studied the life of Christ, you'll know that the religious leaders had turned the Sabbath into a prison, a prison of rules. And Jesus went face to face with them on this. And one of the things that he taught them that's so great in, in Mark 2.27, he said this. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It's not about rules. It is about rest. Sabbath reminds us to rest in God. You can't rest in God if you don't trust God. See, this is where it all comes together. This is why we're collecting manna. So we can learn to trust God. And when we learn to trust God, then we can rest in God. But it's pretty hard to rest in God when you don't trust God. Isn't that true? And so the Sabbath has been given. It, it reflects creation, but it has a purpose. It teaches us to trust God, to rest in God, to rest from work, to rest from chores, to rest from homework, to rest from struggling to get ahead. How can you ever really get ahead in this culture? It gives us a chance to rest from work email, but mostly from striving. Do you ever just feel like you're striving all the time? You're just working all the time? You're just trying to get ahead all, all the time? Do you always feel a little anxious, a little stressed, like you're never quite there? See, that's what this is about. We need to learn to rest in God. I always hear people, and it's so unnerving, and I, I do it too, I know this, but it's weird to hear Christians complain about how busy they are. I'm so busy, I never, about how tired we are, right? I'm so tired, I'm working all the time, I'm so, about how stressed we are, about how overloaded our schedules are, and, and you know, kind of how our health is suffering from that, and our soul is anxious, and we're stressed about it. And then I hear people say, you know, I don't, I don't have time to gather with other Christians every week and worship. I don't. I'm just so busy. I have so much stuff going on. I'd love to be in a grow group, but, you know, I don't have time to, you know, establish relationships with other Christians and be there for them. And I wish I had time for Bible study and prayer. And, you know, you talk about memorizing and meditating, and I wish I could. I hear people say this all the time. I wish I could. I wish I could memorize the Bible. I wish I could meditate on the Bible. I just don't have the time. I'm too stressed. There's too much going on. Psalm 4610, um, you know, I refer to this probably about every three weeks. I'm not sure, but something like this, right? God says, be still. Some of your translations say, cease striving. Just, I, just, I just picture God walking up to some of you and putting his hands on your shoulder and going, just stop. Aren't you tired? <laughs> right? Like, and who's doing this to you? Oh, you. Right? Nobody's, nobody makes you be stressed. Nobody makes you be harried. Nobody, nobody makes you do anything. These are your choices. Stop striving and know that I am God. Right? Isn't that the point? And know that God is God. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. And it happens to all of us. We just lose track of it. We just get up in the morning and we get our daily bread and we go through our day and we eat our bread and we eat our time and we go through our relationships to school and everything else. And we never ever think as we go through our days stressed, we never think about where it came from. Like I'm so worried about bread tomorrow and like while you're eating bread, you know, like where did that come from? And we forget that. We don't make that connection. I, I do it too. You know, I, lately, uh, my life has been so crazy, 
and I was uh, working on this sermon, I was thinking to myself, I've kind of fallen into this trap. I've just become so busy lately, and I feel like I'm just trying to put out fires and stuff all the time, and I realize that my journaling and, and my time for meditating, and I was just thinking yesterday, like, I can't remember the last time I just sat on the deck with Christy and the sun. Well, I well, the sun is theoretical, but, you know, just sitting, just enjoying, like, God's like, I gave you a deck. Hey, you should enjoy it. I, you know, I just gave you a chair to sit in. I gave you a home. How often do we not enjoy those things? And I think to myself sometimes, I'm just too busy. I'm too busy to do those things. The reality is I'm so busy that I, I don't have time not to do these things because the soul just shrivels up and we just become stressed and life is, no, life is no fun. There's no joy to learn to rest in God. Just two points I told you. Here's the second one. Get to the point. That's for me. So get to the point. Like, so let me tell you what I'm talking about. Manna, a little theology here. So Manna is what we call an Old Testament type, T-Y-P-E, an Old Testament type. An Old Testament type is something in the Old Testament, an object that points to Jesus. It's kind of a foreshadowing of it represents somehow, in a lesser way, it represents Jesus. It points us forward to the gospel. Manna taught Israel to depend on God for their needs, but manna had its, its limitations. It was only bread. Right? It was only temporal, just a day. It's, it could sustain the body. It could encourage the soul, but it couldn't sustain the soul. It couldn't save the soul. It couldn't make the soul right with God. 1,500 years later, Jesus is on the scene, teaching, working miracles. In John chapter 6, he's speaking to a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children. So we say there's probably 15 to 20,000 people there that day. And he teaches all day, and it gets late, and everyone's hungry, and then he works the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, right? You remember that? And so he, he, he feeds 5,000, probably 20,000 people, got a couple loaves of Wonder Bread, feeds everybody. They're like full of white bread and fish. They're feeling good. And then I love what happens next. And, and, and at the end of the story, it says they ask him for a sign. So they're all eating their bread, and they're like, hey, you got any miracles? Actually, in John 6.30, it goes this way. It says, so they said to him, all right, um, this is my translation. So they said to him as they were wiping white bread off their faces, right, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Don't you love this? Like, they're, they're all full, and they're asking him, you got any signs for us? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate, ah, oh, here we go. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, right? We heard that story 1,500 years ago. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're like, Jesus, what do you got for us? You got any miracles for us? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It was my father who gives you, here you go, who gives you the true bread from heaven. So now this is, he's, he's drawing a, a parallel here. True bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. You get it? So the manna was a type, but now here's Jesus. He is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's talking about himself, and he could do a lot more than just multiply bread. He was the spiritual bread from heaven that comes down, not just to give life to our bodies, but to our, to our souls. It goes on, and they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread. I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever, and here we go, this is the important part, and whoever what? Believes in me, whoever has faith in me, trusts in me, right, shall never thirst. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died, right? They ate bread, right? What do they say? The whiter the bread, the quicker you're dead, right? Something like that, right? So it's like, right? They ate, like, they ate the white bread in the wilderness and they died, right? This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. What's he talking about? The soul. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is moving from the physical to the spiritual, from the exodus to the cross, he is not just the manna, he is the bread from heaven. This is the gospel. 
The gospel is simply this, that we were dead in our sin. We were dead. We had starved to death, if you will, because of our willful choice to to sin against God, to move away from him. And so God pursued us and God came to us and didn't just give us bread for our body, he gave us bread for our soul. Jesus came to this earth where he lived a righteous life for us. He went to a cross. He, He died for us. He became the bread that when we eat of it, how do we eat it? We believe. We believe. And when we eat of that bread, when we believe it, he brings our soul to life. And here's the thing. It only takes one feeding. It only takes one loaf of Jesus and the soul is alive and it will never die. And this is the gospel. This is what it's all about. And so he's just using bread as an example for us. But here's a practical problem that I think for for many of us, we lack a discipline of receiving God's provision, if you will. If this makes sense. We receive from God all day long. You receive from God when you woke up today. You receive from God at every meal. You receive from God at every breath. You have been receiving from God all day long. The problem is this. Many of us lack a a discipline of receiving. We eat our food, but we never meaningfully receive it from God. We just eat it. Ah, another sandwich, you know, another chicken wing. We don't really make the connection to God. For so many of us, we, we, we get a paycheck, but we never really receive it from God. We don't recognize it as coming from God. We just, oh, a paycheck. I earned it. I worked for it. Why would I thank God for it? We get another day, but do we really receive it from God? The relationships we have, the the, the love that we receive, the health, the continual grace that covers our sin, even the Word of God itself. We receive all these things from God, but are are we practically aware that it's manna from God? Have we made the connection? The person sitting next to you that you love, that you care for, right? Oh, that might be awkward over here, but you know what I mean? Over here, right, that you... Do you receive that from God? Is that like, yeah, God, thank you. The home you go to, right? But for many of us, it just comes down to a discipline. See, this is what God was doing for them. He was helping them make the connection. I was thinking about that this week, just the power of practice, the, the, the power of receiving. I was talking to my wife this afternoon. My wife is a fifth grade teacher, and I always, I always love talking to her about school because, man, my grade school years were rough. And I can, I can go back and think like, I remember the first grade, in the, I, in the first grade, Mrs. Brown was my teacher, and I remember, like, I don't remember a lot about first grade, but I remember the coat closet. So it was this old school, with the, in the back of the classroom was this coat closet, this big closet with a big door, but, well, there's no door, just an opening, and I spent a lot of my time in the coat closet, where, because I would get removed from the room, because I wouldn't shut up, and I wouldn't stop throwing things and messing around, and so she would make me go sit in the coat closet, and most of what I learned in the first grade, I learned in the coat closet, just was in there. And then I remember second grade, um, I don't remember a lot about the second grade except, I, and I don't remember the name of my teacher, but I remember um, the principal really well. And this was back in the Stone Age where principals could still spank you. And let's just say my principal and I knew each other really well. I spent a lot of time in the principal's office. Third grade, I had Mrs. Funk. That was literally her name, Mrs. Funk. I had a lot of interesting teachers. Mrs. Funk, who um, I've told you this before, but when she did like that halfway through the year, the parent-teacher conference, she told my parents, right, parents of a third grader, she said, your son is never going to graduate from high school. He's going to end up incarcerated before he even gets through high school. That was the third grade, right? There's nowhere to go but up from there. Fourth grade was Mrs. May. We were not friends. Fifth grade uh, was, uh, was Mrs. Roach. I, it sounds a little gross, but actually one of the best teachers I ever had. Fifth grade was interesting because um, this was the first teacher that didn't just see me and decide I was nothing but trouble. And, and um, this teacher, so she had a piano in her room. And halfway through the day, um, we would all sit around uh, in a circle, right? This is the 60s and the 70s, right? And we would sit around in a circle and we had these books and she would play songs and we would sing. And one day, I think it was the first, second day of class, um, she came up to me afterwards and she said, you have a really nice voice. First positive thing I'd ever heard from a teacher, ever. Just turned me around. I'm like, teachers might be okay. They might be all right. 
Sixth grade, add Mr. Fukushima. This is a guy, he was a hippie in a three-piece suit. Sixth grade teacher, interesting guy, played the guitar. Same thing, he'd bring his guitar in, and we'd sing some, I don't know, crazy hippie song. And, um, but he played the guitar, which I thought was really cool, and I, I decided one day I wanted to learn to play the guitar. And so I went to Mr. Fukushima, and I said, you know, I'd really like to learn to play the guitar, I don't know how. And uh, he said, well, here, you can borrow my, my chart book. So he gave me this book, it had like some songs in it, and chord charts, and I went home, and I borrowed a, um, a guitar from my uncle, that weekend, and I sat down all weekend, and I worked on it until I taught myself all the songs, and then I went back the next day on Monday, and I said, hey, I don't know if these songs got any more, and he gave me another book, and I learned a few more, and then one day he sat down with me, and he said, listen, I know it's really fun and all this stuff, but if you really want to get good at a guitar, it needs to move from just kind of being a um, kind of little project uh, and a hobby to something that you practice every single day, right? So every day. And for many of us, that becomes like this point where we think, well, if I make it a practice, a discipline every day, then it won't really be fun anymore. It won't really be a hobby anymore. But what he told me was, it's, he said, it's all up to you. You can just decide. But if you, if you do that, you'll break through to a whole new level of kind of your experience with music, which I did. And in fact, it, it, it did. In fact, I would tell you that music and guitar playing became kind of a part of me. Uh, it's something that I do, and it, it's usually just, you know, so I go out in the room, play guitar, do some worship. It's become a part of who I am. But here's what I learned. I learned if something is important, that you need to be pur- purposeful, and you need to be disciplined about it. You need to put it in your schedule. You need to practice it. You, you need to attend to it. In fact, if you were to look at my, my phone, you would be able to, if you looked at my, uh, my little to-do list, You'll be able to look at it and find out what's really important to me right now by what's in my to-do list. And you would see things in there like daily exercise. So I'm an old man, and I've just decided that I need to get daily exercise, and it's so important that I've made a discipline out of it, right? I, when I first started, it was fun. Then I decided, you know, it's got to move beyond fun. It's got to become a, a habit. It's got to become a practice. So it's in my list because it's that important. Um, I have serious eye issues, and so my doctor prescribed some, some eye drops, and I, I don't want my eyes to get worse. So I have it in my list two times a day. I check off the box because it's that important. I don't want to leave it to chance. Uh, I'm trying to learn Spanish. So again, that's in my to-do list. You'll see that every single day. And my daily list, I have eat lunch. Okay? So this may sound funny to you, but I just if I get up in the morning and I get going, I will, I will just get into my day and I will never even think about lunch. And it will be two or three in the afternoon and I'll be like, oh, I forgot to eat lunch. And usually I remember it because my body starts crashing and I decided that's not cool. And so I, it's actually part of my discipline right now is to eat lunch. I have a Bible verse in there every day. I find a verse, I put it in there, I look at it a lot, I memorize it a lot, I try, I try to read something for 30 minutes every day, like something not connected to uh, a sermon, just anything. Right now I'm reading a biography on Leonardo da Vinci, just anything. Why? Because learning is important, and it's so important that I put it in my schedule. But here's the other thing that's in my daily to-do list right now, and that is to be mindful of God's blessings. To be mindful to pay attention, to, to, to connect the dots. And so I do it in some practical ways. I, I do it through journaling. I, I do it while I'm exercising. That's what I think about. Like, what has God done? What can I learn at, at, at mealtimes? So how do you do that? I, I would just want to s- submit to you that for the Israelites, it was very hands-on, right? Very, like they didn't have to sit around and go, gee, how will we come up with an with a exercise for remembering God? God's like, I'll do it for you. Every morning when you get up, you have to collect bread. While you're collecting your wonder bread, right, you're going to be remembering me. Most of us, we don't have to get up in the morning and hunt for bread. So how are we going to do that? Let me just make some suggestions, right? One is when you wake up in the morning, like start with prayer. Just wake up in the morning, stretch out and say, thank you, God. Right? Thank you for another day. This is a gift from you. Not everyone got this gift, right? Not everybody woke up this morning who was alive last night, but you did. Wake up in the morning, start, God, thank you for another day. That's kind of a good way to start your day. 
How about really thanking God for every meal instead of, you know, God bless this food and the nourishment of our bodies and, the, and, and bless the hands that made it? What if you received your daily bread with like real thankfulness? Like, God, thank you for probably not this, but, you know, God, thank you for the, and just making the connection. What if it was a real prayer? What if it was just from your heart? What if you decided every time that I pray for a meal, I'm not going to pray the old standard prayer. I'm going to look at it and think about it for a minute and receive it. That's what I'm talking about, receiving, making a practice of receiving the gifts of God, because they're all around you, but do you see them? Or how about journaling for a few minutes? Just maybe at the end of the day, just break out a piece of paper or a computer and just write down, what did God do today? How did God bless you today? Oh, I woke up this morning. Oh, I had three meals today. Oh, I forgot about lunch, but I had two meals, right? Oh, you know, guy, you know, the people in my life that love me still love me, (laughs) right? I still have a roof over my head. Like, just that simple, just starting that way. But again, connecting the dots or practice generosity, As God gives to you, at the end of the day, you don't have to hoard everything for yourself. You can give a little bit away. That's a way of, right, recognizing this came from God. I'm going to give you a few slices, right? Where did that come from? Well, it came from God. God gave me that to give to you. Or or maybe when you read the Word of God or hear the Word of God, like sit up and give it your best attention because it's, it's valuable. Or maybe give some of your time to serving other people instead of just all being about you? Like, you receive a day, I got 24 hours. God, I'm going to give an hour of it to someone else just as a way of, of, of showing my appreciation for what you've given, given me. Maybe opening your home. Opening it up, blessing other people with that square footage, right? So it's not all just about you. Telling other people about how God has blessed you. I guess the bottom line is this. For Israel, in some ways, they would have probably told you that was a rough way to live. All right? But the grass is always greener. You kind of look back and go, yeah, but they kind of had it built in, didn't they? So what will you do? What will you do to practice, to practice receiving from God? Because I'll, I'll tell you, it will make all the difference in your attitude, in in your faith, it will really change the way you see life and the way you see God. So what will you do? How will you practice it? Let me, let me pray for us.